This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. I'm the soft-spoken one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Evan. So, Evan, uh, we've got a lot of things going on in sports these days. Uh, all, all these overlapping sports that don't normally overlap that much. Certainly not this time of year. Uh, we have uh, the Mavericks, who, whose uh, bubble finally burst, and they are home. I, su- I suspect that even uh, David Moore, I mean, David Moore, I sus- who's not here with us, uh, I suspect that even Brad Townsend is home uh, after his thousand mile drive uh, from Florida where he was, I don't think, I think Brad promised he was never flying again. Isn't that what he said? I don't know if he said that, but he, uh, I, God bless him. I, uh, he was gone for what fifty days? Fifty days. Uh, that, would, that would be a record for me. I've never been gone more than thirty. Yeah, I, I, I think I was. There has been a spring training where I stayed from start to finish, and that was like forty-five days. But I, at that point in time, was single with nobody. Um, well, nobody who cared about me, which is not that much different from now, anyway. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But uh, I, I did that. Um, but Brad was in that bubble. And I'll just say this. It was very nice of our newspaper. I saw this. Sydney posted this. His lovely wife posted this on Facebook yesterday that we sent a nice bouquet of flowers and said, thank you for sharing Brad with us. And um, Yeah, that always reminds me of that kind of story when we used to have the triple crown parties, you know, and, and tell, Dave. Tell me what the triple crown is, Kevin. The triple crown was it, uh, the uh, APSE uh, nationally. Uh, would would rank you uh, each year in three categories, uh, your sports section. One was the best daily section. Two was the best Sunday section. And three was the best special section. Uh, so we would, we were ranked, they, they never ranked you from one to 10, but they would just say if you were one of the top 10 in each of those categories. And we were, uh, year after year after year, uh, we we won all three, or we were in the top ten in all three. Now we haven't always been in the top ten in all three since then, the early days of the '80s. But we have been in uh, one either best, been in the top ten of the daily section or Sunday section every year since I believe 1982 which was three years before I got to the Dallas Morning News. So, so the paper, I didn't make the pay, I didn't make the section great. I have to admit that. Uh, I just joined a great section. I'll agree uh, with you. Yeah. Uh, but at, at any rate, we've had a party once and, and, you know, 
uh, Dave was a Dave Smith was a terror and and made us do uh, things we didn't want to do and and uh, he, we would have this little party little dinner you know and then the and the wives got to come spouses got to come husbands as well uh, for some of us and uh, and he he would make a speech and said I, I know this doesn't make up for it but I, I I hope it does in some small way and it was like you would hear you know spit takes all across the room from people thinking, yeah, this, this dinner makes up for you calling my husband or my wife at seven o'clock in the morning and uh, screaming at them and telling me you have to go to LA in five minutes. I think it's a completely fair trade-off. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, well, let's, uh, let's talk about those Mavericks right now. You know, uh, uh, by all accounts, it was a, uh, uh, a tremendous season for the Mavericks, even though Going into the to the season, I, I I said, and most people said, this was a fringe playoff team that should get into the playoffs, probably should get into the playoffs, be gone after one round. That's exactly what happened. Except that if you look what happened inside that bubble, uh, Luka Doncic, who, who was already considered one of the bright young stars in the NBA, firmly established himself as a top five player. Uh, oh, no, he did not. Not, he, not, a, no, not according to Kip Bayless? Is that what you're going to say? I, I knew this was... He did not, according to the flying pig that is Skip Bayless. I think I think if he were really a flying pig, now I would enjoy that if the man were could actually fly. But anyway. Yeah, I, it, it, it's just amazing that uh, Doncic has these games, and, and people predicted it before the next the next news cycle ever hit skip would uh immediately rip his performance and and he did but why am i spending time on skip let's talk about luca and the Mavs. absolutely uh so uh here's the thing about luca and and it sounds crazy to say about somebody who's 21 years old uh, but i i think that he is on a very uh short arc going to be the greatest athlete in Dallas history. I, I, I think that uh, we can look at a lot of great players, but nobody, nobody was this good at 21. Uh, and, and nobody ranked among the, the best in their league at 21. Um, and I, I would expect he will only get better. Uh, for one thing, he can get a lot better at his free throw shooting. Uh, and uh, and, and what's going to happen eventually is that he'll get more respect from the referees. He will not get beat up so much. He will go to the free throw line more often and make more of his free throws. And that will make him even more valuable. Um, he is a once in a lifetime, in my estimation, talent. Uh, the fact that they got him uh, and made that trade. And if you go back and look at that, if you go back two short years ago to that draft and when he wasn't, he was not the first player taken. He was not the second player taken. You know, that's phenomenal. That's that's close to being on par with Michael Jordan not being the first player taken in his draft. Um, there's nobody close to him in that now. Uh, and and the thing about him to me that makes him so great, besides just watching him play, he's just so fun to watch. Uh, is that he elevates everybody around him. Uh, he he makes his team better, and and that's what we always ask of athletes, right? Is that can you make your teammates better, especially in basketball? And and he unquestionably does. That was a team that took the Clippers 
which is a team that, that could certainly win it all, really gave the, the Clippers all kinds of fits. Even after that blowout uh, in game, what was that game five? Uh, even, even that blowout in which I, after which I wrote that, look, you know, they're not going to get past this. I, I, don't, I don't see them getting past game six now. They still played with them through game six, even though uh, uh, Chris Daphne-Brzingis wasn't available. So, I mean, if you look at the fact that, you know, yeah, the Clippers were missing Patrick Beverly, who's a terrific defensive player, but he's not the, he's not the third or fourth or fifth best player on that team. Uh, the, the Mavericks were missing their second best player. They were missing Dwight Powell, who's probably their, I don't know, fourth best player as well uh, throughout the series. So uh, this is a Mavericks team with a lot of promise. Um, I think there's a lot of concern about Przingis because of his uh, bulky knees. Uh, he's, he's seven foot three, kind of skinny. Uh, we, we have seen a big man like that who have chronic uh, injury issues. And certainly that is a great point to make about him. And I say, it's not as big a deal as everybody thinks. Uh, if he is not the number two, player on this team if he's not the second best player that's okay they they still needed a third wheel uh, no matter what uh, happens going forward and if he ends up being the number three guy then that's a number that's a really good number three guy and if he only plays you know if he averages uh 60 to 65 games a year I don't I don't think that's a problem either I think what you're going to see going forward there'll be a lot of load management with him and lots of players uh, like him that you'll see that kind of thing happen so what, what's incumbent upon the Mavericks at this point is they're going to have to find somebody else. They were going to have to find somebody else, whether Porzingis was terrific or not and, and, and perfectly healthy all the time. They're not going to be able to do that this offseason because of their salary cap issues. Uh, they'll be able to improve the team. They need to make it a little tougher, a little better defensively, uh, some more two-way type players uh, on the team. Certainly, Brad Townsend has advocated for a really good wing player for a couple of years now, and I think that would be terrific for them. But this isn't the year. Uh, next year is the big year in free agency anyway. That's when all the players are coming available. That's when, for one thing, Giannis Antetokounmpo becomes available. Uh, I'm not saying that the Mavericks are going to get him, uh, but they should certainly target that. So, uh, you just love saying that. Yeah, I just love saying that. And I want to point out here, too, for, just uh, for the benefit of, of my man, Donnie Nelson, uh, you know, he was the one who said about Antetokounmpo, went to Mark Cuban and said, this is the guy I want when they had the 15th pick. We got to take this guy. And Mark said no. Uh, Mark had his reasons for saying no, but he said no. Uh, and that's – to know that the, the best player in the NBA right now was still available with the 15th pick tells you something about uh, what everybody was thinking at that time. So Donnie, in his term as the GM, uh, has, has or been involved with the Mavericks, drafted Dirk or, uh, or at least acquired Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, he wanted the Mavericks to take Antetokounmpo and then he engineered uh, the, the deal for Luka Doncic. So the man knows his European players, uh, I'd say. So anyway. Uh, and he does. But, you know, there have been some misses in there. I mean, there's been the Roddy Boubois. 
Well, no, Roddy was okay. But no, here's the thing: people call those misses, and and here's the thing. They they knew those guys weren't going to be great players. They're just taking them. You know, they're 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 just taking them. You you draft those players for one thing, and then you don't know what you're always going to get. But you also establish connections with people. Then then people in Europe know, hey, the Mavericks are serious about this. They're drafting European players. You know, it kind of helps build your your contacts over there. And that was the that was the plan behind some of those guys. Well, I mean, and that's you know the, the parallel there is what the Rangers did early in their in their time in Latin America, and with the with the relationships that they built there, um, and parlayed them into Ruben Sierra and Pudge Rodriguez and Juan Gonzalez. Um, the difference is that other teams followed you know, with, with huge investments there and eventually to the Dominican. Uh, and now it's basically an even playing field there. And, and that edge has been taken away from the Rangers. Um, yes, it is. And we'll talk about uh, that in a minute. I just want to say a couple more things about uh, uh, this situation. So uh, if they, uh, I, I think the Mavericks can be better. These guys will get better. They will. <clears throat> uh, and certainly Lucas still has some work to do. Uh, just to make himself uh, his body. He, he did lose weight last year coming into the season and was in much better condition. He can do that a little bit more. Certainly Porzingis can work on his conditioning and strength and they can do things uh, to, to perhaps ward off some of these problems he's having with his knees. Uh, so there's some, there's some growth there for the Mavericks, but it looks extremely bright. Uh, this is an organization on its way. Uh, two great players, under 25, 25 and under. Uh, that's that's pretty remarkable. Uh, the Cowboys uh, wrapped up uh, their uh, camp and uh, weird camp, such as it was. Um, and now they're they're moving forward. Not a lot of surprises there. Are you sure about that? They may or may not have wrapped up their camp. We'll kind of wrap it up. I mean, we don't know since there's no jersey numbers and there's. <laughs> No names. We don't know what may be going on. Well, you know, I have sources. Uh, and that's what David Moore says. So anyway, that's my source. Um, what, what's your paranoia level on the Cowboys running that scrimmage on TV with no names or numbers and no ability to see anything other than the behind the quarterback? You know, somebody made the uh, parallel that, you know, uh, Mike McCarthy grew up in Pittsburgh, a Steelers guy and 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 they, they intimated i guess that the steelers used to do this kind of thing i, I don't know uh i don't know what they used to, to do i will say this uh i've been impressed with mccarthy you know and i should have been impressed with him you know he's got a super bowl win uh coming in here but you know from afar i wasn't sure what kind of head coach he is you know he, he always seemed to me more like a guy who was a uh, an offensive coordinator as a head coach, you know? And I'm always a little leery of that situation. I don't I don't like it when a guy wears two hats like that. I just wanted him to be the head coach, hire, hire an offensive coordinator, and and be a head coach. And and obviously he he is doing that now. He does have an offensive coordinator, but you know, uh, he's calling the plays. But half the time they you know they're uh, they're saying now we're not running that play. Uh, I think he's. I think he really has a good feel for this job as a head coach. I think he has a good feel for running the locker room. You know, I think he's smart enough to see that this team probably was a little uptight over the last several years, uh, reflecting their head coach, who's a, I'm, you know, Babe Loffenberg made a great line 
about uh, saying that uh, he loves to see all the players say about a new head coach, well, this, the old head coach was really holding me back. And I, and now I'm going to be great because of all the things this guy's doing. And that, which is obviously fairly ridiculous. Uh, but I do think that uh, they will be looser uh, under uh, Mike McCarthy. I think they'll, they'll, they'll play looser. I think that uh, there's a, there's a good possibility that the, uh, well, I think there's no, no question that that team underperformed last year. For that team last year to be eight and eight uh, was terrible, and I think that was. And that yeah, but I, I, I would also say that the the loosen up element is not so much related to McCarthy the coach versus Garrett the coach, or McCarthy the personality versus Garrett the personality. I think it was just the idea that time was running out on Jason Garrett and, and, and everybody around the, the, the team knew that. And I think that, you know, that tends to make everybody a little bit tighter that you're playing for somebody's job there, basically. I, I think that's, yeah, I think that's true. I, I think that uh, uh, it depends on what kind of uh, a manager you are. Are you the kind of manager who, who lets the, the locker room run itself, lets the clubhouse run itself, or, or are you the type that you know, uh, you're you're a presence over that team, you know, and and I think that uh, uh, you know, listen, I'm I'm not going to knock Jason as much as everybody, uh, or it would be the easy thing to do. I think he did a lot of really good things uh, for the Cowboys. He, for, for one thing, he instituted a lot more discipline than had been there before, uh, and w- which is what you would expect with someone of his personality. But uh, I do think that they they underperform. They they oh, there's no doubt about that. I, I and I'm not I'm not criticizing Jason at all. I just think that after a decade there, um, the, the 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 pressure was ramped up to the point where where it was just it, it just kind of sat over the team a little bit. Yeah, it hung over them. There's no question about that. All right, so now I want us to talk about the Rangers. Uh, so, Evan, the Rangers won a game last night, which they should not have won. That was a crazy game. Um, and, and I will say this, too. What, what is the situation, uh, just quickly, on the, on the broadcast? Why, why is it we hardly get any kind of replays with any kind of good TV angles. Is this, is this the same? Are they using the same number of cameras that they normally use? Is it the same kind yeah, of Yeah, but I, the, the, I think the issue here is you've got basically one feed for both broadcasts. So yeah, yeah, I knew, I know that, yeah. So that's where it kind of limits the, 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 the number of, of replays that um, you would see. I, I think it's more of just a generic, a, a generic broadcast than it is. Uh, specific to to individual plays that a that either broadcast team would really want. I, I've noticed that um, in in the games that I've had to watch on TV, but I think that's that's more a function of you're trying to serve two different audiences at the same time. I, I get that, uh, but but like on the balk, which is you know how often do you get a balk that scores never, on the balk? You just never got a real close up replay. You know the, no. the angle was from far away. So like when they had the center field camera, normally they had the center field camera, right? When you're getting ready to hit them. Instead, yeah, they were focusing on, on the that block, On that block at third base last night, I don't think you would have gotten that on the center field camera. You need that from the high home camera or the low home camera. And just whichever angle they got it from, 
it just wasn't it, it wasn't a tight enough shot on his leg. No. Well, I think you could have I think if you were behind him because it, that at that particular time they were showing the hitter. I can't even remember who the hitter was. And uh and, and then and then of course it all, you know, heck breaks loose. And so we uh I, I just would have liked to have seen the flinch a little bit better. I would have liked, you know, and and then of course the you know, uh CJ and 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 Dave are both talking about how um you know, he looks back at Beasley and, and, and gives Beasley a nod for, for saying, you know, probably saying, hey, look, you know, take a, you know, give this guy a little bit of a run. I mean, base runners do that all the time on third base. You know, it's not like it's any uh, uh, genius or anything, but it certainly did uh, uh, give him a, a, I, a jolt. I think, you know, the way Scott explained it after the game was um, the – that he and Beasley talked about a little bit and that it was a, you know, a little bit harder faint than usual um, on going down the line. Uh, and with a left-hander, uh, you've got the possibility of maybe catching the guy a little bit off balance because you don't, he doesn't see it developing. He just sees right. the guy going down the line out of, out of the corner of his eye. Um, and then afterwards we, when I asked or when Scott was asked about it after the game about what he was saying to Beasley, was a very comical discussion in which he said, I told Beasley, you're the G. And he said, no, you're the G. And I said, no, 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 you're really the G. And I, I, I said, hey, hang on a second. Did you, first of all, wh who, what is the G here? And they were the, that, is that the goat? The, the G is, you know, that they were playing like a gangster. Like they, uh. Uh, they talked about Mookie Blaylock, <laughs> about Mookie Betts, Mookie Blaylock. They talk about Mookie Betts playing like a gangster, um, a G over the weekend when, when they face the Dodgers. And um, I followed all this up with this very confusing, you're the G question and answer with, with Scott. Did you ever determine exactly who was, in fact, the G? And he said, yes, it was Beasley. I was just the dummy executing the play. So. Yeah, okay, the G. I'll have to remember that. I want to ask you this, though, because this is the thing. Um... And then, of course, I texted Joey. We didn't get to talk to Joey Gallo last night. So I texted Joey and I said, uh, Did you ask him if he was the G? I said, Joey, I, I, my text was, You crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and when he got back to me, he said, Look, I'm, I'm basically like one for 85. It's the only chance I had to get me. <laughs> um, I really appreciate his honesty and his sense of humor there. Um, caught everybody going? by surprise. I don't know how. I don't know how high a percentage of play that was um, with two outs to bunt there, but the left side was completely open, made for an easy hit, and the Astros complied by by throwing the ball into, um, I think it was um, uh, Pearland. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, here's something. Uh, yeah, it could have been a better bunt too. You know, a little bit more up the left, the third baseline would have been better. Uh, let me uh, let me ask you this. Um, uh, because on that play, when uh, Scott Heineman does that, uh, you know, so the so the ballpark's empty and there's not a lot of noise. There's that fake noise, but that's it. I'm wondering if that has more of an impact on a pitcher's psyche to hear that that thump 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 because that's that's what that's what you're trying to do, right? You're trying to make I'm making a lot of noise here. I just wonder if besides the maybe seeing it out of the corner of your eye, hearing that. It's, it's something new for a pitcher. You don't normally hear it because you'd hear the crowd and, and they get a lot of that stuff gets drowned out. I, I just don't know if maybe that's a, that's just something else that adds to the, uh, adds to the mix. 
Entirely possible. I mean, I just think all of that goes into it. But I, I think the for me the biggest thing is the left hand with the left hander when he finally appears in your field of vision, he's halfway down the line. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know if you're not if if, if you're not beat, if your heart's not beating slow, if you get caught up in the minute, it's easy to flinch. And yeah. apparently, according to to Chris Woodward, you know his knee buckled um, and. Then he stepped off, and and everybody, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa pointed immediately. Um, the umpire pointed immediately. It wasn't a question of whether or not it was a balk. It was, it was clear enough to to everybody around the plate. Oh well, yeah, there were no protests, no nothing. Uh, no, nobody, nobody said, "Hey, that didn't happen." You know, everybody realized that's what happened. So that's a crazy way to go ahead. And, of course, they get the, the extra run uh, after the uh, the bunt by Joey. Uh, and then, of course, I we didn't even talk. I mean, for Isaiah Kenner-Falefa to score from first on a bunt. By and Joey he wasn't even running all the way. I mean, he, he, he coasted around second. You know, I mean, it was uh, phenomenal uh, to get that. Uh, but we didn't you even know, talk about last, last night. The Rangers of the Rangers six runs, five began their little lives as either walks, hit by pitches, or errors. Yeah, yeah, very crazy night uh, for the for the Rangers in general. That that must have driven the Astros crazy to to look at that game. But as I've tried to say now for three times, we didn't even talk about the fact that the guy who's been terrible all year long is the guy who made it all possible and that was Elvis Andrus with his home run in the ninth inning to tie the ball game and I know that Elvis talked uh to the media before the game and uh and really and as Elvis always does this is why you know this is why you have to love the guy is that he's always perfectly honest about himself and, and about the the Rangers situation always a great spokesman for the club uh, because of that, I've always enjoyed that about him. I didn't always like the way he's played, but I have always liked the way he has comported himself in the clubhouse, uh, around the team, around the media. He's always been first class. And and in that time, he basically said, yeah, you know what? I haven't played well at all. Uh, I'm not." And he's talked about his back problems, but he didn't make any excuses. He just said, I just haven't played well. Yeah, he said the right things yesterday. Um, There were two things, however, in there that I thought raised a few questions. One was um, that Elvis said, I'm a great player when I focus 100% of the time on the field. Um, And it's just, it's a little bit disappointing to think that after 12 years, um, there's not full focus and and full directed focus. Um, And the other part of that was, I, I, I think that, I'm not so sure I'm disappointed in it. I think Elvis, my understanding of Elvis and and, and his diction and the way he uses um, some words in English, he he uses some superlatives a little bit um, easy. But Mm -hmm. when he says he's a great player, I don't know if that's overestimating who he is or if it's just kind of like he uses the word super a lot and he uses amazing a lot. And I don't know if great was just the adjective, the, the, uh, the, the adjective that came to mind, but I listen, this is a guy who has had two really good years at the plate for a shortstop, but the bulk of his career has been under, under average uh, offensively below average offensively. And, and he's, um, it's been okay because the Rangers have had great teams around him and, and a number of, of great hitters, 
but it you know right now with his contract and uh with where this team is it 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 just has to be better oh there's no question about that yeah you're right there's only been two seasons in Elvis's career where he had an OPS of over 800 the rest of the time, it's in the low sevens and sometimes even in the sixes, uh, which in the era of shortstops today that he has come along is not good. Um, there I think was a the, time- context, the context I put it in last night is he's headed for his fifth season of a sub 700 OPS. And since 1990, I think there have been five other players that have had that many seasons. Um, none of them have been regulars in the last decade. Uh, and, and, and so the, the point there is, yeah, the game is at a different, is at a different position. And, and what Elvis has always done in the past, which is simply try to make contact, it's not, not good enough anymore. Um, as he said yesterday, the scouting reports are much more detailed. Pitchers have much more detailed scouting reports on him, and they're going to stick to those until he makes the adjustment. And the adjustment here is he's, he can't take that kind of defensive stand at the plate to just make contact with two strikes. He's got to be seeking a pitch and trying to drive it. That's where the game is right now. It may not be how Elvis came up in the game. It may not be his desired way to play the game, but that's where the game is now. What do we think about Rugi Odor's uh, assignment to the IL for an eye infection? That, that eye infection has been raging now for, it seems like, a month and a half. Um, do, do we feel like that, uh, that maybe uh, this is just an easy thing to do? Well, I think it's pretty, pretty clear, you know, that he, he, he doesn't have the good eye at the plate. <laughs> Um, I can set you up for that. I all I know is I, I did see uh, the the few shots I've seen of him in the dugout the, the past few days are that that eye is pretty swollen. Um, nobody said if it was conjunctivitis, but I've done some more research on conjunctivitis in the last couple of days than I care to, and it, it can last you know up to a week or ten days. Um, but he doesn't need to be playing. And if this is, if this is convenient, it's convenient. Uh, but the bottom line is he does not need to be playing right now. Uh, the Rangers need to look at Nick Solak at second base and get him at bats or, or make sure he continues to get at bats. And there's places around the diamond where they can, they can look at other people as they've started to look at Eli White in left field, as they've called up Anderson Tejeda there are just guys who deserve it bats more than, than Ruggie right now. And that's, that's as, as simple as it gets. All right. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about why they're doing that and, and, uh, and what could have happened and the, the, uh, the trade deadline, which has come and gone. Uh, and uh, Lance Lynn is still here. Mike Miner is not. Um, uh, we, we had the conversations with, uh, John Daniels about all of that and his explanations and uh, about how he, he did talk about uh, the uh, uh, the fact that uh, he, he talked about Lance Lynn. He, he chose not to talk about anybody else and whether they any trade discussions about anybody else. He acknowledged that several teams were interested in Lance, uh, but none of them offered a return that, as he put it, he could be proud of. Um, so, Let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, you know, first of all, uh, Lance Lynn is, is, I think, 
has turned a corner in his career. And, I, and how long he can maintain that, I don't know. Uh, we don't know. But for $8 million next year, obviously that's an unbelievable price. Uh, you're getting a real bang for your buck with Lance Lynn. Um, I, I think also a team, just because of his mental makeup, uh, um, I really would, if I were a team that had postseason aspirations and, in a, and then was in a World Series, I would have every confidence in him going into a game. Uh, whether you think he's the number one or not for your team, he's going to give you everything he's got, uh, and he's not going to fold under the pressure. Uh, so um, I think that, uh, uh, you know, and you made this point, and I think the same thing, too. Uh, I thought the Rangers should have traded him, but I'll say this as well. Uh, what are the Braves thinking? What are the Yankees thinking? You know, they didn't add anybody to their uh, rotations. Um, and uh, if they don't advance, if they don't go to the World Series, I think those teams have questions to answer as well. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt the Rangers were a loser at the trade deadline. I, I tweeted yesterday that, look, the perception is that the Rangers were the big loser at the trade deadline. Um, but what if the Yankees, the Braves, or the Dodgers get upended in the playoffs, early in the playoffs? Um, who's the bigger loser then? Uh, the Rangers are still a loser. I, 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 it was, that, was, that part was, was poorly phrased. But I, I think these teams that had an opportunity to go out and win um, and did not make strong efforts um, on Lynn or weren't willing to tap into – to the, the level of prospect that the Rangers were demanding, um, I think they're, they're gonna have some questions to answer as well. For me, Kevin, I think it comes down to this. And, and I think we're probably on opposite sides of the coin here, but if the deal that Cleveland had gotten for Clevenger was available to the Rangers, um, I think it was four, four prospects. Yeah, seems um, right. Do you take that if you're the Rangers for Lance Lynn? Judd, of course, listen, I, I don't know the Padres system, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm, neither, I'm, do, neither do I. I mean, we're talking about guys that even if, if we've seen some film clips of, it's minimal at best, right? So we're talking out of our butt a little bit here. I'm going on rankings and just going off of what some people have told me. But here's my, here's my take. The guys that the Rangers needed to tap into in the Padres system if they were going to get a deal were C.J. Abrams because they desperately need a shortstop, and he's at the top of the shortstop chain. Um, uh, Luis Patino, the right-hander, uh, perhaps Campisano, the catcher, or Taylor Trammell, the outfielder, who ended up going to Seattle in one of their 18 different deals. None of those guys were in the, in the Cleveland deal. I think Cleveland was more motivated to deal Clevenger because of the mistakes he's made and because of the pitching depth that they have. And if they got a package back like Philadelphia got for Cole Hamels, where these are guys who all play in the majors, but not necessarily any impact guys, I think they're, they're okay with it. I think the Rangers feel, felt like they needed to come away with an absolute impact prospect. And I get that, right? Uh, I understand that. But these guys were, I mean, first of all, the Padres have either the best or the second best farm system in baseball. Uh, these guys were 9, 10, 11, they're ranked prospects. That's pretty good. You're talking about, you know, top 10 type prospects. I think if, out of, for me, if you're, dealing, if you're dealing an ace with that kind of, with, with 
an eight million dollar salary for next year. And I mean, let's face it, Lance is a Cy Young contender this year. Sure. And if you're dealing that level, you better get some one of somebody's top five prospects. I get that, but here's the thing: you have to also take into consideration where you are as a franchise at this point. Uh, you are not the the Indians. You you are you are not a team that is still a contender. You're a team that's rebuilding for the future. So what good is holding on to Lance Lynn doing you? You know, you can, you can talk about, yes, he's, you know, look, I, I, I get it. You cannot limp through a 162-game season. That's just brutal, you know, to do that. You've got to have some players, and you got to have somebody who soaks up some innings, somebody who's a – uh, um, a role model for the other young pitchers on the team. I, I believe all those things are important. I believe that, that though, that, uh, that management, and I'm not talking about John Dan's ownership, looks at that like, hey, we got an ace. It's $8 million next year. You know, that means we don't have to run out and, and, and sign and spend any money on anybody. And we can, and, and this, he plays into exactly what we need. You know, he can be, he'll be competitive and fans will like to see him pitch. And when they can come back to the ballpark, and these are all things I think that factor into to the, the situation. I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily what John Daniels wants to do. I think that's what ownership would like. And, I, and look, and I understand the, the idea of uh, this is what a guy should give you. But if, look, they're not going to be good next year, and that's the end of, of the Lance Lance contract. Would would Lance sign another another deal in this offseason? Would he sign an extension? Maybe so. I think he likes uh, playing here. But if I'm him and I'm looking at my situation, I wouldn't do that uh, because look, he's going to have an opportunity to probably sign a, a contract with somebody else if he has another good year next year. And and why not go someplace where you can win before your career is over? Well, I mean, I think again with the, right now this economy, the 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 idea of post-pandemic baseball, if the Rangers were to come to him in the next month or the next six weeks and say, look, we'll add two years onto your contract at 20 per year, um, I think that Lance would would more than likely jump at that. Now, would he try and get a third-year vesting option or some kind of option? Probably, but I think he would probably take that. And if you're the Rangers, what it does potentially do is reset kind of the clock that Hey, if there's no no trade protection in there next year at the deadline, you could revisit this all over again with two fairly. At this point in time, if he if he's a number one, twenty million dollars a year is a fair price for for a number one for sure. Um, so I, I I think that's that's kind of the Rangers perspective here. Um, I also think that the possibility exists that hey, the Rangers could could step back and say this winter if we decide to deal him we'll be more willing to take just one legitimate um, higher level prospect and not go for a package of players. Um, because at the end of the day, what this team needs is impact players. It doesn't need numbers. It needs, it needs a, an impact bat or it needs an, a shortstop. It needs one guy from a deal who will have an impact on this club. Yeah. Yeah, and going forward uh, for this team, um, you know, I, I I will say this: uh, you look around the diamond, uh, you watch watch that team play last night. Uh, I, I I tell you, I, I do love watching Leody Tavares play center field. Uh, nice center field. 
he he okay. does. You know, I was I was telling my youngest son we were watching it, uh, the game. I said, you know, he reminds me of uh, Ken Griffey playing center field. It's very relaxed. It's very I'm in charge I, I, out here. I don't know that I'd make that that comparison just yet. I, I after a week, I don't want to make Leody Tavares feel like Ken Griffey Jr. But he, well, I don't, I don't. I'm just saying that there are a lot of what I'm talking about is he's very relaxed out there. He's very much in charge. He's very much in control. The, the way he places his glove, he runs back on a ball, line drive to the track. He walk. He runs back there, and he's got the glove next to his chest when he catches the ball. The, the, I mean, the, the glimpse that I've seen, the the guy that that um that he that comes to mind for me. Uh, would be Devon White because I thought that Devon kind of loped to the ball, very easy gait. You know, he was a great center fielder, um, and it never looked like he was all out sprinting. And with Leody, that's the way it looks too. It doesn't look like he's ever going at full speed. It just well, that's like that's the under control. That's the key to all great outfielders. You know, as as I had a uh, uh, coach tell me one time, and this is absolutely the truth, we don't want guys diving for the ball. You know, you only get hurt when that happens. We want guys who, because they 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 uh, are judging what the pitch is, because they're the tendencies of the hitter, because of uh, they they make quick decisions on on ball off the bat. Uh, they they get to the ball before they have to do any of that. That's what I'm talking about with Ken Griffey. I never saw Ken Griffey dive for a ball. I don't, I don't recall. I just remember that he was under everything. You know, everything that was hit, he was under it. He ran to the spot and waited for the ball to get there. You no, know, I, I, I agree. especially I, after you watch the, the Rangers outfielders, except for Joey. Now, Joey's the same thing. Joey, you know, I've, I've always thought you can tell immediately whether a guy is a good outfielder because he will stand, he will, he will run to a spot and catch the ball. You know, that's poor Shinsu Chu, even after all these years, he's wandering around out there under a ball, circling, his gloves on one side of his body, it's on the other side of his body. And, and you know, Nick Solak, the same thing. I, I you know, here, here's my problem for Nick going forward. I don't know what position he plays. You know, right. he's not an outfielder. And I really have questions about him playing second base as well. I just, you know, I think he can hit. I don't know if he's going to hit with enough pop to be an everyday player. Um. I just I, – I don't feel comfortable with him anywhere on the field. Uh, he, he won't necessarily embarrass you at second base, but you're going to severely limit yourself in your double play combination if he's, if he's playing second base every day, I believe. And so they, they have – they got decisions they got to make. When you've got two of the guys you're counting on are Willie Calhoun and Nick Solak, neither of which really has a position. And, and I think that's going to be a, a tough decision for the Rangers going forward. Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't even rule out the possibility. I, I think these guys, look, if you if you played Solak part of the time at second base and part of the time at DH, um, I think you'd be fine. If you play if you play Calhoun primarily at DH with occasional starts in the outfield the way Chu has, I think also you'd, you'd be okay. I just looked around the field last night, and um, that was a good defensive team out there. Uh, and that's something I haven't been able to say about the Rangers a, a whole bunch this year. And if you look now, um, I, I just going through the defensive run save report that I got today. I mean, the Rangers have moved up to uh, the, on the fielding Bible list to seventh in baseball in run save. Now, the great majority of that comes from Gallo's play in right field, where he is a legitimate Gold Glove contender. 
Um, and, and I would say in the, in the American League, it, Betts is the gold standard now in the National League. I, I would say that Joey has to be the favorite in the American League to win the gold glove in right field. Um, you look at center field, you've are, you're already plus two with Lee, because, and that's strictly because of Leody out there mm-hmm. um, for, for a week. Uh, shortstop has gone to plus three, and that plus three is all, all on the fact that right now, Isaiah Kainer-Falefa is second in baseball among shortstops in defensive runs saved at three, uh, which is another reason why Elvis Andrus is going to find himself in a real pickle uh, going forward, because it's clear that Kainer-Falefa is the better of the two defenders at this point in time, and uh, if offensively they're the same guy, I think you've got to go with the younger guy who's potentially got some upside here. Well, and and because here's the other thing, as you know, when we had this discussion the other day uh, at the ballpark, you got to maximize the position uh, and what the position requires. It'd be one thing if 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 uh, if Isaiah were had some real pop, you know, then I would have a problem with him playing third base. He plays it very well. Uh, he plays a, a really good third base. Uh, he doesn't have enough pop to play the position. He needs to be playing shortstop. Uh, he can play shortstop, so therefore he should be the shortstop. And and that and just what you were saying about Elvis is right. This this guy is better than you defensively, uh, and and we don't question whether he is focused. You know, hundred percent of the time, Isaiah's focused every minute he's on the field. That's there was that's, a, that's what there, he does best. There there are days. Um, I, I speaking unfair. I don't want to make this comparison and make it unfair because I don't know that he's the same offensive player that Michael Young ended up being, and I don't know that I thought Michael Young was the offensive player he ended up being. But in terms of body language, in terms of just watching them on the field and their uh, the way they conduct themselves in the game. It, it, there's a there's some degree of an uncanny resemblance between the two of those guys. Um, the other night, uh, forget when it was against Los Angeles. I think it was against Los Angeles. Kiner got hit in the side by a pitch, just drilled in the, basically in the ribs. It was 99 miles an hour. It was it was a pitch that's going to be painful, and never there was no reaction, no nothing, just dropped the bat and went to first base. And that was something Michael always was very, very vigilant about was never let him know you, that, that you're that you're hurt, you know, never let him know that it hurts. Um, and I just I, I watched that play take place and I was like, that's a Michael Young moment. Um, he's got Michael Young makeup. Uh, if he can hit, if he can hit then he's going to be the shortstop. And I'll just say this. I, I, I went back and I compared their, their careers um, through the same number of bats that Isaiah had into the weekend. And, and their batting averages at that point in time uh, were identical. Their on-base percentage, there was a slight edge to actually Kiner. Michael had a bigger advantage in, in slugging. And we know this is a game that's, that's largely about slugging. Um, but there were some comparisons offensively between where those two guys were at the same stage in their career. I think that uh, I, I don't see Isaiah being the same offensive force that Michael was. Uh, he's a better fielder. 
than Michael. Uh, Michael was a really good second baseman, a very average shortstop, and a below average third baseman. I think that Isaiah is an average to above average uh, third baseman. He might be a better third baseman than a shortstop, um, but I think he's a really good on the left side of the field. So I think that what Isaiah lacks in my, uh, or what he, where he trails Michael on offense, he's better defensively, certainly on the left side of the infield. So I, I think he can be a very valuable player going forward. Uh, and I think that, uh, that he'll play somewhere on this team going forward. Let's, let's say, uh, uh, let's say three years from now, Evan, let's say 2023, uh, how many guys on this team will still be playing for the Rangers? Oh, good question. Um, Tavares, um, I think we think that Joey Gallo will be gone by then, don't we? I think we, we believe he will be gone in free agency. I think Kiner Falefa, uh, Tavares, Solak, uh, in some role, Trevino. I mean, I don't know if, if Jose is going to be able to catch a hundred games or if he'll end up splitting time behind home plate with Sam Huff. But uh, I, I would say that there's at least four position players who will have roles on this team uh, in, in three years. Do we think that Jose Guzman, Jose Guzman, do we think that Ronald Guzman is uh, just having one of his hot streaks now, or do we think he's unlocked something? It's, you know, it's five games, man. It's, it's, it's hard for me to say he's unlocked something, but certainly there have been – there have been more extra base hits the last the, these last handful of games. Um, still a lot of strikeouts and not a lot of walks, but he's hit the ball with a little bit more authority than than he had been. And, and I, I guess the biggest thing for me is a week ago, ten days ago, he was as down as as he could possibly be and was was in a funk. Uh, because it didn't seem like he was grasping things. And maybe he has kind of, of, of made some degree of a, of a breakthrough. But the thing is, we, he's got so many moving parts and he's so long and so many kind of um, mechanical triggers. Uh, it, he's always going to keep that in tune. If he does, he's a, he's a really good defender. He can, he can be in – he doesn't have to have – you know, the 900 OPS that you'd like from a corner out, a corner infield guy, but he's going to have to, he's going to have to contribute more than he's been able to contribute in his first two real looks in the big leagues. Yeah. I will say this. I, I, I pretty much almost given up on him. Um, it's, it's certainly worth giving him a look uh, and, and, and making the trades of Todd Frazier and Robinson Chirinos is kind of freeing up a little bit of time for some of these guys to get more at bats. Uh, and you, we can see uh, what they do, which is uh, certainly what the, the Rangers needed to do. They should have done more uh, at the trade deadline than they did. I think we, we both agree on that. Um, but at least they did free up some time for some other younger players. So I think it's going to do that for us. Uh, Evan looked like he's about to fall asleep. Uh, yeah. Time for my mid-morning nap. Yeah, boy, you've been up for now, what, like two hours? Yeah. Yeah, wow, man. Uh, it's been a tough day. Tough day for you. Um, so that's going to do it for, for this week's uh, Ballsy Podcast. Uh, make sure you come back. Uh, we'll have one again next week. Uh, maybe we'll even have David Moore with us next week. He can talk some more about the Cowboys. 
and uh, and what they're going to do. You know, their their season's starting up here pretty soon. Will they will they wear numbers on their jerseys when the season starts? They will wear numbers on numbers and names and everything. It's going to be really fun. You can just tell who everybody is. Could you tell who they were without their numbers and their names on there? No. 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 Yeah. Well, some guy. You know, I have to say this. I've never been a numbers guy myself. People will always say, "Oh, that's old number twenty-one," and it's like I'll have to think twenty-one. Who's twenty-one? Uh. And, and, and most of the time, I just like to recognize the guy by his body type, by the way he runs, the way he carries himself. That's what I'm looking for more than just so much what the number is. Yeah, I, I kind of somewhere in the middle there. Yeah. Devin, what's your number? Uh, my number was two. Now, your number is zero, pal. Zero. My number, my number was two. Um, my favorite number probably i don't know i don't know what my favorite number would be anymore <laughs> well whatever it is no one's gonna be calling you evan that's for sure whatever you said i don't want to say that evan gets his dauber down you know y'all should know that evan we, we call him dd his, his dauber down that's what he he, he he gets a little upset with himself and and the next thing you know, he's he's just got his dauber down. I'm the king of mediocrities, Kevin. <laughs> Stop it, Evan. You know, when when all this gets uh, over with, Evan, we're going to go eat us some barbecue. I think we should start in um, in Deep Ellum. Yeah. And, and At go, Black's? Go over to Pecan Lodge. Black's. No, you can't go to Pecan Lodge. They had a big old fire. They're going to be back open in a couple of days. It was just a fire in one of the smokers. Um, well, hold on a minute. That's where your fire is supposed to be in your smoker. Yeah, I know, but it, it just there's some. I listen. They're going to be back open, <laughs> um, and then we'll get on I thirty, and I want to go try that uh, uh, Zavala's in Grand Prairie. And I don't know. I don't know Zavala's. Hurtado in Arlington, and wow. then we'll go over to Fort Worth and eat at Heim, okay? Yeah, that'd be good. So maybe the Dallas Heim will be open by then. Yeah, we're on Mockingbird. That'd be really fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, we'll have a barbecue crawl, Kevin, me and you. I got to say, that I don't think that my cardiologist would say that I should be eating that much barbecue. I'll talk to him. Okay, I appreciate Make it. Make sure all your paperwork's in order. <laughs> yeah. All right, Evan. It's always a pleasure. And thanks to Jose for putting up with all this and taping it and doing everything else. So on behalf of everybody here to everybody out there, thanks and so long, everybody. <laughs>